0: Epictetus, the freed slave-turned-philosopher, once taught his students as follows, Can anyone prevent you from assenting to the truth? No one at all. Can anyone constrain you to accept what is false? No one at all. Can you see that in this area you have a power of choice that is immune from hindrance, constraint, and obstruction? End quote. The Stoics teach us that our minds are free to choose between what is true and what is false. That's a simple truth that most everyone accepts. However, the larger truth, which most of us tend to overlook, is this. The person that we are, our dearly held beliefs, our desires and fears, our intentions, and ultimately our character and psychological well-being are the result of the choices we make about what is true and what is false. In other words, from the smallest to the largest events in our lives, Our choices about how to interpret those events will shape the very faculty of choice that ultimately determines our character and guides our lives toward virtue and well-being, or the opposite. Every event that occurs presents us with an opportunity to judge, to choose the meaning of that event. The greatest Stoic teaching of all is the wisdom and resulting peace of mind that comes from understanding that it is not events themselves that disturb us, but our thoughts about those events. A bump or scream in the night, a honking horn, a layoff notice, divorce papers, a cancer diagnosis, a winning lottery ticket, a new job offer, a marriage proposal, an inheritance, a fire or flood that destroys your home, the death of a loved one, a family reunion, election results, war, a booming economy, etc. What do all of these things have in common? They are all events that occur in the world, and none of them are up to us. However, each of them, if they occur in our life, will present us with impressions of an event that likely include a value judgment about that event. We do not choose these events, nor their impressions. They impress themselves upon us without our consent. Again, they are not up to us, yet they frequently frighten, delight, depress, and stir us. These are the vicissitudes of fortune the capsizing waves that drown some people under a sea of troubles, and the fair winds that others hope will carry them to blissful shores. Most people hope and pray for the latter, while cringing at the thought of the former. However, the practicing Stoic, who is traveling the path of the Prokopton, is not like most people. That is because the practice of Stoicism trains us not to judge any of these events as either good or bad in themselves. Why? Because they are externals. They are not up to us. Therefore, the practicing Stoic trains their mind to neither desire nor fear any of these external events. Instead, like Marcus Aurelius, they accept that, quote, "...things as such have not the slightest hold on our soul, nor do they have access to the soul, nor can they alter it or move it, but the soul alone alters and moves itself and ensures that whatever is submitted to it conforms to the judgments of which it considers itself worthy." End quote. That inner strength or resilience that Marcus is referring to is our inner citadel, the impenetrable fortress of our soul that cannot be assaulted by external events. Unfortunately, that same citadel, the walls of which can withstand the assault of any army of external forces, is all too vulnerable to destruction from within. It is not the events beyond the walls of our inner citadel that harm us. They cannot touch us. However, our judgments of those events... Our desires for some of those externals and our fear of others assault our minds continuously and have the potential to destroy our inner citadel from within. This is where the discipline of assent comes in. It is one of the Stoic spiritual practices that teaches us how to defend our inner citadel. The discipline of assent corresponds to the topic of logic in Stoicism because it involves the acquisition and integration of knowledge. This is not the place for a detailed analysis of Stoic epistemology. That is a more advanced topic. However, some basic theory needs to be covered before we can even deal with the discipline of assent. To begin the practice of the discipline of assent, we need to understand what assent means. We also need to understand concepts like impression and adequate impressions. So, assent. What exactly is assent? Assent means to agree with something. Our assent to something may be an explicit and conscious choice, or it may be a nearly thoughtless habitual reaction to an event or a thing. The discipline of ascent has little to do with agreeing with the nature of things or events. The focus of this stoic discipline is not the nature of the bump or scream in the night or the honking of a horn. Instead, it concerns itself with the meaning we attribute to those events, the value judgments we place on those events. The bump, scream, or honk simply occurs as an event in nature and has nothing to do with our psychological state. However, our judgment of those events creates our psychological state. Therefore, our agreement with the occurrence of the event is not the topic of today's podcast. Our focus is on our agreement with the frequently unconscious value judgments we tend to attach to those events. For now, the important point is that assent means to agree with something. Next, we have the concept of impressions. Without getting unnecessarily technical, impressions are either sense perceptions presented to our mind by existing things and events in the world, or they are the creations of our mind that relate to something in the world. These impressions press upon our senses of sight, hearing, taste, smell, touch, without our consent. Things exist and events happen, and they are not up to us. However, some impressions are not the result of direct sense perception. Concepts like resemblance, analogy, transposition, composition, etc. are products of the mind that are only related to real objects and events and are not real objects and events in themselves. Likewise, we can create mental impressions of things that have no connection whatsoever to real entities or events. As the scholar F.H. Sandbach writes, Quote, Presentations that arise by mental activity, not through the stimulation of the sense organs, must usually be about external objects, although not immediately caused by them, e.g. presentations that the sun is larger than the earth or that a providential god exists. But if one thinks that somewhere there are centaurs or men with eyes in their chest, that corresponds to a hallucination. Now that we have a vague idea of what an impression is, it's important that we distinguish between two types of impressions, adequate impressions and inadequate impressions. An adequate impression is an impression of a thing or an event that gives us enough information that we can make an accurate judgment about it. Therefore, it has several criteria, several characteristics that it has to meet. One, it must derive from an existing object or fact. It has to come from what is. It also has to accurately represent that object or fact. It agrees with what is. It's stamped or imprinted on our senses. And it's done so in such a way that it could not be false. Finally, it cannot have been derived from something that is unreal, something that is not. So, what are some examples of an adequate impression? If you walk outside on a bright sunny day and feel the heat of the sun on your skin, the impression that it is day is an adequate impression. Likewise, if you're standing in the middle of a one-lane road and see a speeding car heading in your direction, the impression that the car may hit you if you don't get out of the way is an adequate impression. Finally, if you see a potted plant falling from a fourth-story window, the impression that it is falling toward the ground and will strike whatever is beneath it, absent some other intervening event, is an adequate impression. So what about inadequate impressions? Examples of inadequate impressions would include those derived from something that does not really exist, like a figment of our imagination that might present itself to us in a dream, or a product of pure imagination. Likewise, an inadequate impression is one that does not provide an accurate representation of an existing object. As examples, when we see a stick that is partially submerged in water, our eyes will be presented with an inadequate impression that the stick is actually bent when in fact it is straight. When we hear what sounds like screams for help coming from the woods, that may be an inadequate impression of a human in distress. It just may be a peacock, which can sound remarkably like a human at times. Therefore, inadequate impressions are those that do not provide us with enough information to assent accurately to a thing, event, or concept. And that brings us to the concept of assenting to adequate impressions, which is a key concept in Stoicism. As I already noted, assent means agreement. When we assent to an impression, we agree with it. John Sellers breaks this process down into four stages. One, we perceive an external thing or event. Two, we form an almost involuntary and seemingly unconscious value judgment about that thing or event. Three, an impression in the form of a proposition is fashioned from both the perception and the value judgment And that proposition is presented to our guiding principle, our rational mind. And then fourth and finally, we either assent to that proposition, we reject it, or we withhold judgment, withhold assent. As we will see, the discipline of assent trains us to assent to adequate impressions about events in nature without assenting to the judgments attached to those events. Assent to the truth about our human nature and a cosmic nature develops our human excellence, our virtue, and it brings about the experience of well-being or good flow in our lives. Alternatively, assent to value judgments about events create bad emotions, pathé. When we consider the four-step process offered by John Sellers, it is obvious that we often fail to recognize the value judgments that accompany the impressions that we assent to. Our assent to those impressions and their associated value judgments is what creates our emotions and it impedes our happiness or good flow in life. The last concept we need to cover is that of withholding assent. And that brings us to a point of great disagreement between philosophical schools, past and present, because it raises some difficult questions like, how can we have any confidence that we can know anything at all? What can we know? What criteria can we use to measure knowledge? Can we trust our senses to accurately present external events to our minds? Unfortunately, there is no agreement on these questions. Now, I'm not going to travel down the epistemological rabbit hole in this podcast. However, a couple of points do need to be made relative to the practice of Stoicism as a way of life. First, Stoicism assumes a real world exists beyond our consciousness. The Stoics were philosophical realists. Second, the Stoics assume that the real world is intelligible. And third, the Stoics assumed that we, as rational human beings, are capable of understanding that external world, at least to the degree necessary for us to develop virtue and experience well-being. Of course, all of these assumptions can be challenged by philosophical skeptics. None of them can be proven, empirically or logically, to the satisfaction of everyone. Nevertheless, they are fundamental assumptions that are essential to the theory and practice of Stoicism. Therefore, the Stoics argue that while there are many areas where we lack enough knowledge to have certainty, that does not mean we lack the necessary knowledge to live virtuous lives and experience well being. Therefore, there must be a reasonable standard of evidence that we can rely on when it comes to trusting our perceptions of things and events in nature. The philosophical skeptic will certainly disagree and will argue that there can be no such thing as an adequate impression of external events. After discussing this topic of adequate impressions, F.H. Sambach writes, There must be a point to call a halt. There must be some presentations that are immediately acceptable, that are self-evidently true. That is what constitutes a cognitive presentation. It is the attitude of common sense that most presentations are of this sort. In ordinary life, every man has no doubt that what appears to him is really there. The sun is shining, that those objects are pomegranates, that a wagon and horses are bearing down on him. Only occasionally will he have doubts, so that, if he is a Stoic, he will say that he has an inadequate impression. For the most part, he will believe, without reservation, that his presentations give him a grasp of external reality. End quote. In some cases, withholding assent until further evidence is available is the prudent course of action. We will see this when we get to the actual practice of the discipline of assent. Nevertheless, in most cases, there is enough evidence. As Stoics, our attention should be focused primarily on our assents to value judgments associated with those impressions of things and events. Additionally, there is a significant philosophical difference between withholding assent while we continue to search for evidence and the skepticism that doubts our ability to know anything beyond Descartes' famous cogito ergo sum I think, therefore I am. We must live as if we are capable of correctly assessing the things and events we face in daily life. Epictetus disparages the skeptics in several places in the discourses. In one example, he uses a bit of humor to do so. In a mocking manner, he engages in an imaginary dialogue with the skeptic. First, he asks, What are you up to, man? You're refuting yourself every day. And are you unwilling at the same time to abandon these frigid endeavors? When you eat, where do you carry your hand to? To your mouth or to your eye? When you take a bath, what do you step into? When do you call a pot a plate or call a ladle a roasting spit? Epictetus goes on to imagine what it would be like to be a slave to one of these skeptics. And he says that he would risk being whipped to the bone every day, but he would not stop tormenting him. When his master asked him for a bit of oil for the bath, he says he'd pour fish sauce over his head. And when his master asked, What is this? he would say, I had an impression that it was indistinguishable from that of oil. It was just the same. I swear that by your fortune. And then when his master asked him to pass him some gruel, he said he'd bring him a dish full of vinegar. When his master said, I didn't ask for this, I asked for gruel. Yes, master, this is gruel, but surely it is vinegar. Why that rather than gruel? And when the master asked, take some and smell it, take some and taste it, he would respond, well, how do you know if it is true that our senses deceive us? Epictetus concludes by saying that if he had three or four fellow slaves who thought the same way as he did, that he would soon have his master explode with anger and hang himself or else change his ideas. And then, in closing, as a Stoic teacher, he says, But as things are, men like this are making fun of us. They make use of all the gifts of nature while abolishing them in theory. And that is the funny thing about skepticism. It can be thought about, talked about, but it truly can't be lived in our daily lives. You cannot, absolutely cannot live as a true philosophical skeptic. That covers the basic theory necessary to understand and practice the discipline of ascent. And in our next episode, we will dive right into the discipline of ascent as a spiritual exercise. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast that tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the stoics if you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me send me an email at chris that's chris at stoicism.com. until next time i hope you will continue exploring traditional stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.